0: Welcome to The Socialist Program. I'm Nicole Roussel, one of the producers of this show. Brian Becker, the host of The Socialist Program and a longtime socialist organizer, was a featured speaker and moderator at the People's Summit for Democracy, which was held in Los Angeles earlier this month in opposition to the exclusionary summit of the Americas. The summit of the Americas was a total failure, with several countries boycotting the event that Biden's office described as a way to forward his own agenda. In contrast, the People's Summit for Democracy was a celebration of the successes of people's movements in our continent, a collective discussion of the problems that the peoples of this continent face, like U.S. imperialism and its inherent oppression of us all, and a three-day-long period where leaders, organizers, union members, investigative journalists, and people from all over the Americas built connections and strengthened relations for the ongoing fight for freedom. Brian spoke at the final plenary session of this three-day-long People's Summit, summarizing what has been accomplished and what the new direction must be for this new movement. Dietra Jackson, the national director of BYP 100, spoke about the need for socialism. She became politically active at the height of the murder of Trayvon Martin and has been organizing against police terror ever since. Cuban President Miguel Díaz-Canal sent a special message directly to the People's Summit addressing the vital necessity of solidarity of the peoples of the Americas. And Gene Roach, co-director of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee, addressed the critical struggle to free political prisoner Leonard Peltier. Gene is a survivor of the 1975 shootout in Oglala, South Dakota, and has been advocating for justice and freedom for Leonard Peltier for the past 47 years. The closing plenary also included a special video message from former Bolivian President Evo Morales, Tricontinental researcher and editor Michaela Erskog, a video message from Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro, and LA Skid Row pastor
1: Pastor Q. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. sisters, brothers, comrades, friends. It's been an amazing three days. It's been an amazing three days. It's not possible. It's not possible to think about revolution or radical transformation without thinking about it in the company of, in concert with, in solidarity with all of our comrades and friends, not just in Los Angeles, not just in the United States, but in Central America, Latin America, in Africa. Indeed, the entire world representing the fight against imperialism is here in the People's Summit for Democracy. I think it was so appropriate that we began this three-day event the night before it actually started when Comrade Eugene Perrier, Abby Martin had an opportunity to confront Anthony Blinken about the racism and colonialism, about the execution of Palestinian journalists by Israeli Zionists snipers paid for by U.S. imperialism, that Anthony Blinken came here, thought he was gonna have it smooth rolling, and was confronted by the voices of the people who organized this summit. And then, the director of the Organization of American States, so-called, was interrupted by Walter Smolarik and that... And you know, I have to say, we were very clever in how we organized that, because even though Walter is in his mid-20s, he does look like he's 14 years old, and as a result, they weren't ready for him. And he talked and talked and talked. He kept expecting to be arrested at any minute. He was probably hoping to be arrested at any minute because he had nothing left to say, but somehow... Walter is well informed enough that he talked about Bolivia and the coup, about Venezuela, about Cuba, about Haiti. We started this summit the right way, the People's Summit, by fighting, by resisting, by organizing, by mobilizing, by being in the face and not being afraid to be in the face of our enemies. That's the appropriate way for a People's Summit for democracy to really begin. And we thank all of those comrades for taking a risk and all of the comrades around the world who have amplified their voices in the past few days. We can do this. We can resist the arrogance of empire. We can resist the arrogance of exclusion. We can resist the system that breeds the arrogance of exclusion. 199 years ago, James Monroe issued the so-called Monroe Doctrine, announcing that the U.S. capitalist, slave-owning ruling class was going to not only rule over North America, but the entire hemisphere. And 199 years later, as Biden tries to say who can come and who won't be able to come to the summit of the Americas, We can say we're putting the final nail in the coffin of the Monroe Doctrine. Fidel Castro and the Cuban Revolution got the ball rolling, we're gonna end it. Instead of the arrogance of empire, instead of the arrogance of imperialism, what we have demonstrated here in the past three days is the building of a dignified collective of resistance against arrogance and against imperialism. This is dignified, it's based on mutual respect by the rejection of racism and white supremacy and all of the manifestations of capitalist oppression, including patriarchy, including the violent and all forms of violence against women, the oppression and discrimination and violence against the LGBTQ community. We have built an organized and dignified collective of resistance that puts the working class at the center because it's the working class that will make the new society. That's what we're determined to build. That's our goal. We are not trying to protest the system. We're trying to build a new system. The pandemic, the pandemic that began two years ago and has taken five million lives, also created in the same two-year period, same two-year period, 573 new billionaires. There are now 2,653 billionaires, 537 were created in the last two years, That's just about one billionaire each day. At the same time, at the same time, around the world, there are 470 million people who still do not have access to bathroom facilities. Just think about that. 2,600 billionaires with a total net wealth of $12.5 trillion People who do nothing, contribute nothing, do no work, have accumulated all of this money, this wealth, this power. And 450 billion people have to go to the bathroom outdoors every day. That's what capitalism really is. It's not about celebrity culture and People magazine. It's this gross, obscene, bizarre, awful inequality that's bred and continues to be bred every day, every hour, every minute, and it will never end until we end it. Capitalism (laughs) will be ended when we end it. The question is, of course, can we end it? And, all right. Every revolution that takes place throughout history, every revolution, Beforehand, people say revolution is impossible. Radical change is impossible. The people are too apathetic. They're too tired. They're too preoccupied with the problems of everyday life. They can't think about big politics. They can't transform society. They're too busy surviving, or they're too scared of the state, too scared of the cops, Too scared of the military. And then revolutions happen and afterwards everyone says, wow we knew that was coming. (laughs) That was inevitable. Because you can't have a society based on this level of inequality and oppression on one pole and extreme obscene wealth on the other pole without there being collisions and class struggle and revolution, and that's what the People's Summit for Democracy is about, expanding democracy through the process and medium of revolution. Can we do that? And we are very happy and thrilled, in fact, that those who are excluded by Joe Biden will actually be included in this, our final plenary of the People's Summit for Democracy. And by that, I mean we have the presidents of Cuba and Venezuela joining us. And and we have Evo Morales, former president of Bolivia, also joining us. In addition to being a member of the Party for Socialism and Liberation. I'm also a member of the International People's Assembly IPA. All of the comrades that you're meeting from Central America and Latin America and Africa, we are building a network of resistance to make sure that this is not a one-off event, that this is a movement for revolutionary and radical change, and we want you to join it. I want to begin with our panel of truly esteemed guests. We're going to start first with Deatra Jackson. She is the organizer and organizer, lead organizer of BYP 100. She is, Dayatra is an organizer, trainer, big sister godmother of five, and national director of BYP 100. Raised raised in southwest Philadelphia, now living in Chicago while attending grad school in Miami, she became active in the height of the murder of Trayvon Martin and the Zimmerman verdict with the organization called Dream Defenders. Since then, since then, Dee Dee, has had her hands in efforts and actions such as bringing participatory budgeting to Durham, hashtag Durham Beyond Policing, the Justice for Rifa campaign, Black Mamas, Black August bailouts, and some that shouldn't be named. Now as the national director of BYP 100, she dreams of freedom, future worlds, and building a movement of ungovernable and strategic lovers of black liberation. Let's give her a big hand. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. How are y'all? How are you feeling?
2: Want to give a big shout out to the performance that happened before this plenary. It was beautiful, it was moving, and it was necessary. So thank you to the performers that, that came on the stage earlier. Um, I also want to give a a tremendous thank you to the organizers and volunteers of this amazing, amazing summit. Um, I I imagine just the countless hours and weeks and months it took to to plan something like this and just want to thank so much uh, of the intention that went behind the summit, truly iconic. Really want to give a big thank you to Leanne and Manolo and Sheila for also inviting me to speak. I feel very honored, thank y'all. So every single day in this country, lives are lost in the war against white supremacy, racialized capitalism, transphobia, homophobia. Just last month in Buffalo, New York, the lives of black people were lost senselessly. These were the lives of people who were trying to live, feed their families, and take care of themselves. They were murdered while shopping at a local grocery store in a working class black neighborhood. These murders are senseless and they are intentional. And I felt it necessary to be the first thing that I spoke about. Their lives were taken on purpose. These murders were aligned with the mission, vision, and values espoused by white supremacists in this country. We, black people in this country, cannot go to the fucking grocery store We can't go to church or school or a movie theater or a mosque without risking our lives. This is what we are up against every day. We can't get on the internet, much less social media without reminders of the violence that happens against us. I wrote that piece before the mass shooting that took place in the elementary school in Texas. It's so deep in the, in the roots of, of this country that we cannot grieve fast enough without having to grieve again. White supremacist roots and legacies run deep in this country as you all know. Uh, They have been fertilized by imperialism and have flourished into the branches of US government, military and militarized police. White supremacy, the most invasive species, has developed into racialized capitalism and displacement. And all that remains are the poison fruits and toxic land and water of white supremacy. We are left with an increased wealth gap between the richest and the poorest among us, and the man-made environmental damage that is irreversible. Beloved, it is irreversible because we are constantly having to battle with the fruits and not the roots. It is the root we must go toward with. The roots of capitalism, anti-blackness, sexism, queer and trans oppression and all forms of domination is in the roots of this country and we must thrive underneath the soil. That is where we must starve the roots. We have an opportunity now to, to plant seeds of a new future. A future that bears the fruits of love, justice, solidarity, consciousness and care we must prepare our fields for new seasons through study and struggle, even when our present is not promised. From the war on drugs to the war in Iraq, from the historic 1994 crime bill, who we all know is the lead author of that, our current president, and the 1994 crime bill, the history of it serves for my generation. It increased policing and police practices that have made this country the biggest jailer in the world. From the global pandemic to the unjust blockades imposed by the US against Cuba and Venezuela. Meanwhile, in the US, our public schools, there are 1.2 million students unaccounted for across this country because of the pandemic. Because this country does not give a fuck about education? Because what we know is that we actually don't have an education system. We have a capitalist system that determines who gets access to education and who does not. We, have, we don't have a healthcare system. We have a capitalist system that determines who gets access to health and who does not. We do not have a justice system. We have a capitalist system that determines who gets access, who gets punished, and who does not. We don't have, a. okay, y'all get where I'm going with this, right, okay. And this, the US serves as an imperialist machine that has rededicated itself over and over again to the widespread destruction of black people and workers and suppression of socialist ideas. We are in the ring with racial capitalism and it will not go down without a fight. In 2020, one of the largest uprisings that this country has ever seen, 20 million people out in the street calling for defunding the police, led by my generation. Shout out to the millennials. Shout out to Gen Z, okay? And even with that many people out in the street calling for defunding the police, calling for divestment from the police, which means a reinvestment into our communities, into what we really need, Federal spending on police has actually increased. That is what we are up against. And the time for our voices to be heard is now. The time for collective action is now. I was raised by a single mother in the hood of Southwest Philly. My mother did everything she could to take care of me and my sisters and really ensure that we had as much as we could. And what she could not control, as I spoke to before, is my education. We had to attend underfunded schools, and due to that experience, I grew up in the 1994 crime bill. I went to school with the 1994 crime bill. It was a keen understanding for me around how policing and prisons are incorporated into kids' lives every day. My classmates and I were subjected to daily Surveillance, checking IDs, metal detectors, wands, police officers in the schools, chains on the windows, bars on the doors, you name it, that was my school. I went to a zero tolerance school, which means that I got disciplined a lot for doing actually what I'm doing right now, which is running my mouth and speaking the truth. Today I have the privilege of serving as the national director of BYP 100. And as my comrade spoke earlier, Kyla, BYP 100 is a membership organization of black 18 to 35-year-old organizers, storytellers, educators, artists, healers, activists that are dedicated to black liberation and freedom. And I'm letting you know that we constantly have to reiterate and bring the words of our ancestor Fannie Lou Hamer that we are sick and tired of being sick and tired. For the last nine years, BYP 100 has been organizing, centering our work through a black queer feminist lens. Now this is the framework that we've decided to adopt because it's pivotal to uplifting who and what we are fighting for. Because we know if we uplift the voices of those that are most marginalized in our communities, that are most marginalized by the different crises that we have to face, everyone will benefit. We have a fuller story because of that. And while we hold black queer feminism as core to our purpose and our vision, it is not enough. We commit today to moving our work from here on out through an explicitly socialist lens. And we commit today to continue to study and struggle in service of the liberation of all people. Most recently, I had the opportunity, BYP 100 had the opportunity to be a part of a historic delegation of 100 youth activists from across North America to go to Cuba. And if there is one message that I take from that experience, it is that the revolution is inevitable. While the roots of racialized capitalism are strong and well-resourced, the revolution is inevitable. Every single one of you is an embodiment of the revolution because you are here, and the revolution is inevitable whether it is in our lifetime, in our generation, it is inevitable, and why, you ask? The revolution is inevitable because the outstanding and selfless work of doctors and scientists in Cuba The revolution is inevitable because of the courage of Shireen Abu Akleh. The revolution is inevitable because of the rising up of farmers and protests across India. The revolution is inevitable because of the fight for reparations happening across the Caribbean and across the African diaspora. The revolution is inevitable because every single day, workers are fighting for their rights across this world. The revolution is inevitable because Flint, Michigan, still does not have clean water. The revolution is inevitable because Palestine will be free. The revolution is inevitable because my generation and the generation after me is divesting from capitalism and refuses to recognize capitalism as a legitimate economic system to support working people. The revolution is inevitable because we will eliminate student debt for all across this country. The revolution is inevitable because of the police divestment work happening right here in Los Angeles and across this country that is led by black women and black femme folks and black poor people and black working class people. We are the revolution. And because we are, the revolution is inevitable now. Just take a deep breath and say to yourself, the revolution, is inevitable. the revolution is inevitable. Now find a neighbor and say, neighbor, the revolution is inevitable. Revolution is- because now is our time. Now is our time to cheer and chant and sing and march and care for each other, but most importantly, to organize. Because the, rev- because the revolution,
1: starts today. What, what possible better way could there be than to introduce the president of Cuba with that last speech? Because Cuba is indeed the embodiment, the embodiment of the same process. And you know, it's so important to, to affirm the inevitability of revolution, and also to recognize that it takes us to realize that inevitability because, of course, it's movements for social change and the heroism, and we can see this with those who came before us, that why and how change happens is because of the people. And so this message of affirmation of revolution Cuba has stood the test of time, against all odds, an island nation. They said they could do it. They said they would withstand the empire. And we are here today to say to Joe Biden and to the summit of exclusion, Cuba, you are welcome here. Let's hear from the president of Cuba.
0: Dear Manolo, comrades participating in the People's Summit, I was not wrong when I said that I would not be at the Summit of the Americas, but that the voice of Cuba certainly would be. You are our voice. The revolution has always had it very clear. Where governments deprive us of our voice, peoples will be there to represent us, to speak on our behalf. This has been the case since the times of the Ministry of the Colonies, when there were governments that were pushed by the empire to break relations with Cuba and ended up by obeying the order of the master, with the honorable exception of Mexico. The Cuban Institute of Friendship with the Peoples was born from that understanding. Solidarity is not only a principle that is inside from the revolutionary praxis, it is the most formidable weapon for those of us who believe in the power of the masses, in the telluric force of the mobilized peoples, and in the inspiring struggle for social justice. Wherever there are peoples in struggle, Cuba will be there. And wherever Cuba is, there will be people in struggle. The struggle we share today dates back centuries, at the cost of the blood of the best sons and daughters of our great homeland. That struggle is waged against the powerful neighbor's attempt to recolonize our American nations. It is waged against the spirit of the Monroe Doctrine that continues to guide the United States and its political approach to our region. It is waged against imperialist policies of sanctions and punishments for countries that will not yield to such designs. It is waged against the aspirations of U.S. politicians to be police and supreme judges, determined to establish who should be our rulers and even our civil society. Cuba was the first Latin American nation excluded from hemispheric alliances for having rebelled against the empire. Others tried the same before and were subjected to coup d'etats, dictatorships, and transnational campaigns of terror like Operation Condor. Cuba was expelled from the OAS. It was separated from its natural place. They financed invasions and continue to finance different attacks against the revolution. We are the honorable survivors of 63 years of blockade, And to the disgrace of that powerful empire, which is 30 times bigger than our island, we are among the countries of the hemisphere that have the highest levels of education, health, as well as our own scientific development. Today, Venezuela is also being arrogantly punished. It has been robbed of its savings and its foreign assets, and its legitimate government has not been recognized. Vicious attacks have been launched at Nicaragua's neck, a nation that has faced so many attempts at conquest in history, and where at some point in time they were subjected to a dictatorship that was strongly sponsored by Washington. People are wise. People have memory. Those people who have organized a summit that they wanted to prevent as well as the proud governments that did not silence their denunciations and raise their voices also on our behalf, understands that where there used to be a punished nation before, now there are three, and tomorrow there will be ten. However, if the people close ranks, the mythical giant that devours worlds shall not pass. Thanks to that understanding, the ninth Summit of the Americas was not exactly what its organizers expected. Solidarity was ever more present also where it had not been invited to, where it was not wanted. Therefore, I would ask you to share the most sincere appreciation with the governments of the region that firmly oppose the exclusions of Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua from the Summit of the Americas. Deserving our special recognition Our President Andrés Manuel López Obrador of Mexico, the Prime Minister of St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Raúl González, the presidents of Bolivia, Lucho Arce, and Honduras, Xiomara Castro, as well as the many leaders and heads of Caribbean and Latin American delegations who, during the summit itself, have rejected the exclusion of Cuba and the criminal blockade against our people. North America is not the enemy. The North America of workers, indigenous peoples, and immigrants who have also been excluded, not once, but day after day, by the merciless empire of the market. That North America that you are showing us, a rebellious, subordinate, proactive, and fraternal North America is our natural sister, is not, and will never be, an enemy. Thank you, sisters and brothers, for showing what the powerful have wanted to censor and hide for so long. Thank you for giving a voice to the excluded. Thank you for painting the horizon with hope. Thank you for ratifying to us, once again, that a better world is possible. From the bottom of my heart, Manolo, comrades, thank you very much.
1: Now you can see why the Biden administration and the capitalist ruling class in the United States absolutely had to exclude the president of Cuba because what would the American people ever think if they heard a message like that? Perhaps that Cuba should be our neighbor and not our enemy. Perhaps that Cuba is a source of inspiration. I mean, what a gross and obscene and disgusting act of exclusion, the president of Cuba, again, a country that, in spite of the blockade, as you saw, has created five of its own vaccines and has 94% of its population vaccinated and is sending (laughs) thousands of doctors all over the world in spite of the blockade. The United States has many political prisoners and it tortures our political prisoners the leaders of the Black Panther Party and the Black Liberation Movement, the Puerto Rican Liberation Movement, and the indigenous people who have been resisting and resisting and resisting ever since 1492. (laughs) Leonard Peltier must be freed. He's been in prison for 47 years. Our next speaker is Gene Roach from the Minicojo, Lakota. Jean is an artist, she's an activist, she is the co-director of the International Leonard Peltier Defense Committee. Jean is a survivor of the 1975 shootout in Oglala, South Dakota, and has been advocating for justice and freedom for Leonard Peltier for the past 47 years. Please welcome Jean Roach.
3: That means thank you in our language. I'd like to make a land acknowledgment as part of our um, protocol. Wherever we go to somebody else's land, we are here in the land of the Tongva and the Chumash. And I'd like to thank the president of Cuba for his speech. I'm a survivor of this shootout, but we're all survivors here. Many of my grandparents and our relatives have been killed. My great-great-grandparents were survivors of where Custer was killed. And we live on that because our people have been attacked, mutilated, abused for generations, and we're still here somehow. I'm speaking a different language that's foreign to my people, but I'm still speaking. I'd like to um, talk about the survivor issue. One of the things that we do have is that um, people in our home, you know, I heard all the talk about we don't have running water. We don't have clean water. We don't have the bathroom facilities in some, you know, people's homes. And it's kind of like sad that we're never recognized or brought to uh, different venues like this. You know, we seem to be like forgotten at some points, but our people are strong and we, we strive for our mother earth. You know, we protect our water. And one of the things that Leonard did was stand up for the people and the, the land. What happened in Oglala was typical for the time period. The American Indian Movement had brought in spirituality back to our people after we were forced into boarding schools and we had no choice but to speak English. My grandparents were beaten because they spoke one word of our own language. And today, we are finding out the boarding schools. How many children are buried in those lands around these churches, like thousands. And you know, when I talk about this, it makes me feel really deep inside, because Leonard, he represents everything that they're doing against us. 47 years inside the prison. And it's really ironic that his co-defendants were acquitted on a basis of self-defense. Dino Butler and Bob Rabadu, they were acquitted. The FBI attacked our people, have they they've been doing for generations. They changed from the Calvary to the FBI. We have treaties and they've been violated. Every one of the tribes in this nation or on Turtle Island had made agreements and none of them have been recognized or honored. As sovereign nations, we're never invited. (laughs) Do you see any of them invited to the thing that Biden's doing? None of them. Okay, so we're just excluded. And we want to change that. We want to make friends and solidarity with all the nations. And we do have people that have supported Leonard over the years. One thing that happened, uh, you know, for being in there for 45 years, there's a thing that he's under. It's called the old law, where before a certain time period, uh, prisoners were given life sentences equal to 17.5 years. And so he got two life sentences illegally, even though, you know, we have the supervisor of the prosecution that wrote us a letter recently, James Reynolds, talking about how they set Leonard up, falsified evidence, went to Canada after David's that were false. And this woman that signed them, you know, because Canada wanted eyewitnesses, She didn't even know Leonard, and she claimed to be his girlfriend and witnessed all this. And we're like, what the heck's going on here? So they do things, you know, breaking their own laws. They, like, rewrite their laws to fit their own agenda. And, you know, that's one thing that we we know about, is colonization and genocide. And I'm just, like, really honored to be here with all these everybody here from wherever you're from thank you for inviting us at least one voice can be heard but we would love to have people come every nation indigenous nation in this turtle island has a story to be told just like Leonard Peltier if everybody in this room would take the time and call the White House call Biden talk to your representatives we've been doing a really strong campaign for over years, but it got stronger after he got COVID. Out of all the prisoners in Coleman, Florida, where he is, they all got vaccinated with boosters and he's the only one that didn't get it. He suffers from diabetes, uh, aortic aneurysm. And you know, after laying on a thin mat for 47 years, I'm sure his back, he has several aches and pains, but people can make a change for this. Everybody that represents a nation could help us because if Leonard Pelcher isn't free, none of us are free. Yes, it, well, you. He represented time period when COINTELPRO was used against the people. And we feel that, you know, we have had our leaders targeted, killed, incarcerated. And we have, right now, our, the prisons in this country are full, of Native people, I mean, indigenous people, we make maybe at like in South Dakota, 80% of the population when we're less than 10%. You know, that's a lot of people going to prison because our warriors were strong, are strong, talking out against the system. They just didn't care. But yeah, they had to learn their lesson and go to prison. And they've done that to our women too. Ever since they, you know, broke our families up breaking up our our systems of how we took care of each other and how we loved each other. You know, we fed everybody, nobody went hungry. You know, we had our buffalo and the elders were fed first. That system there, we still hang on to. We have our giveaways, you know, we have our special ceremonies that we pray for our earth and our people and all nations and all we would really, not all, but what we'd like to see is unity and solidarity with the indigenous nations to come together and help support us in changing the way that we are perceived by the people. We need help. And it's real hard. It got even worse during the pandemic. We were the last ones on our reservations and in our towns. In South Dakota, we have a governor that didn't even recognize a mask. You know, she didn't care about her people. I have, I'm saying, at least 100 friends over the past two years that have passed away, my age, the elders, and that really hurts when you have your people that carry on our traditions and our language. It was like an attack on them, you know? And Leonard's the same way, his whole mind and his, what he stood up for is being attacked today, you know, whenever they slammed the doors. And when he had COVID, they didn't give him water for four days. You know, you don't hear about these stories. You'll never hear it in mainstream. But him being treated like that in the whole system where his co-defendants were acquitted on the basis of self-defense, that means everybody there at that camp would have the same that we protected ourselves. All we were doing is just protecting our grandmother. We were there taking care of the people when we were being attacked because we had our ceremonies. That's why Leonard was in South Dakota. He was there at the, at the will of the elders that asked him, when we want to do a sweat lodge, we can't do that because we're shot at. We have a ceremony. People can't walk the streets. That was called the reign of terror and it was taken after Wounded Knee, 1973 where the American Indian Movement took over the town occupied it for 71 days. After that time, that the goon squads of um, the tribal chairman at the time were supplied by the U.S. government. Automatic weapons, APCs, you name it, they brought it to Wounded Knee. So during that period, we call it the reign of terror, and that was 73, so in 1975 is when The Oglala shootout happened. People were scared. We had over 64 deaths, uninvestigated. And to date, no, they haven't been investigated. We still have people that talk about it. One of the things that we face now is trying to get our people. I'm not really saying that we need all the Senate and the congressional people to help us, which they are. We've gotten a real good campaign. We have our tribal nations. But we have, we need our people to support, all the people. Every one of you are important. You can make a difference. Talk to your organizations. Talk to whoever, you know, that will support us and for Leonard Peltier to be free. Until that time that he's free, you know, there's not going to be any reconciliation with the United States government. What they've done to our people is terrible. I mean, it's just like... Everybody else in the other countries, they know, you guys know what I'm talking about. But we live here in Turtle Island, and I'd like to ask every one of you to take a moment and help us free Leonard Paltier. Thank you.
1: One thing that I think is really important for all of us to understand is that Joe Biden has the authority to release Leonard Peltier right now. He could do it right now. He can commute the sentence, he can pardon Leonard. He has all the power, he has all the power and the authority he needs. Bill Clinton was about to, or we thought Bill Clinton was about to commute or pardon Leonard back in 1999, and the FBI started having armed demonstrations in front of the White House, and Clinton backed down. Of course, Clinton backed down in the face of police pressure. And then Barack Obama. Barack Obama knew all about Leonard's case and had the authority and said, and a lot of people thought it's gonna happen. And Biden has that authority. And we have to take heed to what Gene is asking us to do uh, to support that defense committee. It doesn't even take that much to do something with your group, or your neighbors, or your friend, or your union, or church, or mosque, or synagogue, or wherever you are, to write a letter, call the White House, demand that Leonard Peltier, a man who is now in his mid-70s, and who is innocent, who was framed up, who was an organizer in defense of his people, that he must be free. So let's do that. Let's pledge to free Leonard Peltier.
0: You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. Come mm-hmm. on.